Amen. There's a few guys sitting in here tonight. All right. Does anyone need a, um, a handout for the lesson this evening? Everyone got one that needs one? All right. We're going to get going there tonight. And so isn't it funny, Annette, you just come sit down and then people come right in right after that. So today I went and helped my parents with something. My dad, some days I'll go check the mail for him. So right when I'm coming up to the door, I went and checked the mail because I'm like, I'll do it before I go in, and the mail hadn't come. So then as I'm bringing my stuff in from the car into the house, the mail person comes by, opens the mail flap, and leaves the mail. So I go out again to get the mail, and they didn't leave anything. And so I went out to the mailbox twice. And so, But right when I get done checking, that's when they come back. That's the way it works. And so we are going to be in Mark chapter number 4. We actually looked over this passage in church probably about a year and a half ago. I don't know how long it's been. In the book of Mark, we've gone a long ways. But tonight we're going to be in Mark chapter number 4. And we're going to talk about trusting in God's care. Trusting God's care. Mark 4, verse 35, the Bible says, In the same day, when the even was come, he said unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude... They took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind, and the said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the seas obey him? Trusting in God's care. I believe this is a good topic to look at, and um, there was a pastor by the name of Frank Graft was his name. He was in Philadelphia in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and this pastor was known for being, for his cheerfulness, his storytelling ability, and he was just a happy guy overall. Reminds me a lot of myself, and always a smile on my face and all that good stuff. They actually called him the Sunshine Minister, that was his name. He was always happy, and in fact, the guy that wrote the song In the Garden, Austin Miles, said of this guy, Frank Graff, he is a spiritual optimist, a great friend of children. His bright, sun-shining disposition attracts him not only to children, but to all whom he comes in contact with. He has a holy magnetism and a childlike faith. And a lot of times you think of an optimist, they view everything very well, right? That's what you tend to think, and always cheerful. But that's not always the case. Frank Graff lost many close friends and family members and lived with physical pain every day. And during one of his toughest times in his life, he penned the words to a song. And a question he was asking, and I want you to, let's see if I can find the page, and grab a songbook there. If you have, We're not going to sing it, but I want you to see the words to this song. So if you grab a songbook there, and we are going to look at page 168. So I want you to see the question that he poses in his song. This is the great optimist. And so this is actually one of my moms when her dad was passing away and her aunt at the same time. This was her go-to song, 168. 
And it says, Does Jesus care when my heart is pained? Too deeply for mirth and song as the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Even an optimist, does Jesus really care? Does, second verse, does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread and fear as the daylight fades into deep night shades? Does he care enough to be near? The third verse, does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When for my deep grief I find no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. The last verse, does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart breaks till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him does he see? And the songwriter, he was sincerely asking these questions. Does God really care? I love the chorus. Oh yes, he cares. I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are weary, the long nights dreary, he's glad that he knows his Savior cares. He wrote that song. He was an optimist, but even those that are optimists have a hard time. You know, which one of us hasn't asked the question in our life, does God really care about me? Does God care about this situation? Does God care that I have so many bills i got to pay? Does God really care that my children are struggling? Does God care that I can't sleep well at night? Does he care that my friends are going through a hard time? Does he care about my physical pain? Does he care about or does he see my tears? Does he really care? How many of you have ever questioned that? Let's be honest tonight. I think everybody would say they've said that. Does he really care? If we are biblically grounded and know the word of God, we know the answer to the question is, yes, he does care. But even the disciples here that knew the Lord well, had spent time with him, they, Master, do you care that we perish? They knew he cared. But in the moments of storms, in the moments of hard times, sometimes our minds run to... Do you really care about me? And so as we look here, this is what happens. Storms in our lives, trials that we face, kind of what they do is they kind of reveal our doubts. And we need to be honest tonight that each and every one of us has doubts at times. I wish we could all say we were super Christians and we never doubted God ever. But that's not the case. We all do. And so what can we learn from this passage? What can we learn from the disciples and the way that they responded? Or the way that the Lord responded to them? I think there's a lot of things we can learn. Now, this is the thing. Most of us already know the story. Sometimes we look at a familiar story, and when we see a familiar story, we end up, oh, I already know everything about this passage. And it's one of those passages. We know Jesus told them they're going to the other side. A storm comes up, Jesus is asleep on the boat with them, and he gets them to the other side, and he, and he calms the storm, and everything ends up okay. We know this passage. So this is one of those that you might be like, oh, why are we using this passage? Don't ever get to the point in your life where it's like, oh, I've heard that passage so many times. I've heard this passage a lot. As a kid in Sunday school, it was one of my favorite flannel graph lessons. How many of you used to use flannel graph and know what I'm talking about when I say flannel graph? Yeah, 
And uh, those were the days. Kids are missing out today with all that flannel graph and all that good stuff. And uh, now they just get videos and things like that. In my day, they had the flannel graph and things like that. But you might be familiar with this story, but we look at it, the disciples really thought they were drowning to death. That's really what they felt. They felt like they were there. And so we see that Jesus calms the storm, and he brings peace to the situation. So there's a lot that we can give from here. And we're going to look at three truths tonight that will hopefully help each and every one of us to trust God in his care and understand the fact that God does care about you, where you're at, what you're going through. It's kind of weird tonight. I got like everyone right here, and then there's like just a few right here. So I'm making sure I look all around everybody tonight. But I want to look at these three truths, and I want you to understand something. Not only does God know you by name, and not only does God know everything you're going through, he cares about it as well. Number one, as we dive in tonight, God, we want to look at God's will includes storms. Now, before we dive into this thought, besides Jesus, because Jesus, there were a lot of things he went through, and we're going to talk about some of that tonight. Can you think of someone in the Bible that God allowed suffering into their life? Can you name anybody? Okay, Job. We mentioned Job right away. So, Joseph. So, let's stop with Job for a second. Can anybody tell me... We have the Bible, so we get to see the full picture and things. Can anybody tell me why God, what God was trying to do, or what God was doing by allowing Job to struggle the way he did? Can anybody tell me if you got that figured out? I got a couple kids that think they got it figured out. Let's go for it. Michael, go ahead. That's very true. Abby, were you going to say the same thing, or you got something else? The same thing? Uh, did Katie, do you have your hand up? Are you smarter than, aren't you smarter than a fifth grader? And so, Job, in all reality, Job was already a good man. Job, the only thing, if you want to, like, nitpick, Job, which I don't even feel I should nitpick Job. The fact that he was giving sacrifices for his children showed he worried a little bit about his kids a little too much, did trust God completely there. That could be, and that's, that's nitpicking. I really don't see anything that Job, Job was a good man. He was upright, he feared God, he eschewed evil, and in all reality, yes, we know that, but God isn't the one. God knew that Job would stand the test. It's Satan who said that he wouldn't, and God showed Satan that Satan was wrong. But in all reality, I cannot honestly say I can give you an answer why Job suffered. Humanly speaking, there is no reason for Job to suffer. He was a good man that did nothing wrong. Okay, Joseph. We talk about Joseph. Do you know why the storms were in his life? Anybody tell me, why do you think God allowed the storms in Joseph's life? Joyce. He had a bigger purpose. And we see that. Because if it were not for Joseph being in Egypt, the family would not have been saved. So his suffering shows an end. 
And you see, oh, that makes sense. But like we mentioned Job a minute ago, Job's suffering still doesn't make sense at the end. Can you think of anybody else in the Bible that suffered? Moses suffered. Think about Moses supposed to be the leader of the children of Israel. And then should he have killed that guy? And we can see from the New Testament that he stepped, he went too far too soon. It wasn't his time yet. And God was going to use him, but it wasn't his time, so he goes and has to spend 40 years in the wilderness. Poor guy. Then he has to lead this stiff-necked, rebellious people and spend another 40 years in the wilderness with them and never get into the promised land. And so, and really, you look, he had an anger problem that he never got control of. And really, his anger problem is what, and yet, isn't it funny? And it's not funny. Who does the Bible say is the meekest man in the Bible? Moses. That's power under control. And he still had problems. And he didn't get to enter into the promised land. And really, his big problem with that was, we say, yeah, he smote the rock, but he compared himself to God. Do we need to give you water? He put himself on God's level. That's really what the problem was. Not, and yes, smiting the rock he shouldn't have, but the fact that he compared, he put him and God on the level of taking care of the children of Israel. That's where the big problem came in. Can anybody think of anybody else that suffered? Think of a le- Jesus. How about a lady? Think of any ladies. Hannah? She wanted a child for a very long time. And then God finally gives her a child that she has to give to the priest. But that child rose up and did great things. And God gave her other children. Naomi? Now, we can look at Naomi, and we can see the end of her suffering and see, yeah, God had a big purpose in that. And God really did a lot through her and Naomi through that. Esther? I think she suffered some. And you could, we could go through, we could name a lot. How about Mary? Can you imagine being, the, being pregnant with Jesus and you're not married? In our day and age today, it would be no big deal. It would just be another, another story. But in that day and age... To be pregnant without being married? She suffered because of that. Let's talk about more suffering in her life. Can you imagine watching your son die on a cross for the sins of the world? Can you imagine seeing your son being mocked? You know, the mama bear comes out in you when you see your child out on, at recess. Get, you know. So imagine what Mary wanted to do when she saw them nailing him to that cross. Imagine how horrible that was, the suffering she went through. Not only was there the suffering of giving birth to the Son of God without being married, but think about all through that life. There was suffering. That was quite something that she had to go through. I think sometimes we don't give Mary enough credit or think enough about her because others think too much of her, so we don't think enough of her. And she suffered. She really suffered. There's so many that we could look at that suffered. And sometimes this is what it comes down to, though. Sometimes you see why they suffered, and sometimes you don't. But number one, as we look tonight, God's will includes storms. It does. You know, sometimes we assume this, that if God really loves us, he's not going to allow anything bad into our lives. Because if you love somebody, you are going to give them the best, right? Or we assume that if a person who is loving God and serving God and doing their best— why would God let that happen to them? You know, in all honesty, Job. Job, what did Job do wrong? Nothing. In fact, 
because he did right is why he got persecuted and why his struggles came and why the trials came. You know, there was lots of other people that Satan said nothing about. Satan says, he's only so good, and this is what's God. God pointed him out. Hey, Satan, have you seen this guy? This guy's good. I wonder if God would say that about us very much. Hey, have you seen Brian? He's, uh, yeah, he's not very good. We'll, we'll talk about somebody else. But God's will includes storms. The best of people, the worst of people, it happens. You know, but we have this tendency to think, man, they've served God for so long. Why should they have to suffer? Why should they go through this? But you got to understand something that we can look to Jesus, God's own son, whom God loved, suffered. Bible tells in Isaiah 53, verse number 3, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Hebrews 5, 8 tells us, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And so we got to understand something. We can't just assume or think that because someone is doing good or because of where they're at in life, that storms aren't going to happen. Because you've got to understand something. We do and will encounter storms, but it's not evidence that we're being bad or that we're being good. A storm doesn't always come because we're doing bad things and God's chastening us. But there are times that storms come because Jonah, you know, Jonah deserved his storm. God told him what to do, and he didn't do it. So you kind of see... Jonah deserved, well, that's kind of tough. They deserve to be in the belly of a whale. I don't know. I don't know if I'd wish that on anybody. I'd be like wishing someone to eat a cream cheese and cucumber sandwich, that type of thing there. And I wouldn't do that to anyone. But, and, oh, they're so good. They are so good. That's why I'm so glad I don't like them, so you have more of them to eat. That's just how kind I am. But God's will includes storms. As we think about that, we think about letter A, the fact that he led them. Jesus led them into the storm. If you notice, it was Jesus who brought them to the ship, and he's the one who told them to get in and to go to the other side. Look at verse 35 there. It says, The same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Jesus invited the disciples into the storm. And sometimes God's going to lead us into something that we don't want to go into. And you got to understand, there are times that God leads us into blessings and joyous times in life, but there are times that he leads us into storms or even to the valley of the shadow of death. But it is God who leads, and we can trust him. We think about Psalm 23, and we love the verses that are there. And the Bible tells us there in Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Verse 4 says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. And what happens is, sometimes we get into these storms and we get this assumption that God's not leading us, but a lot of times God leads us right where we are. That's why you can trust him in the midst of the storm. And so we'll talk more about this as we go further. But he led them, and let her be, he was with them in the midst of it. You notice, look at verse 35 there, let us pass over to the other side. He didn't say, hey, 
you guys get on the boat, and I'll see you later. He didn't say that. He said, let us go. Not, hey, you guys go, and I'll catch up. No, he was with them. Jesus was with them. As Christians, we will go through storms. We will have tough times. But we have a promise from God that he will always be there with us. Hebrews 13, verse number 5 and 6. Let your conversation or your lifestyle be without covetousness. And be content with such things as ye have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. Because God is with us, we know that he will help us in the midst of whatever we go through. Jesus' presence, and you think about Psalm 54, verse number 4. Behold, God is mine helper, the Lord is with them that uphold my soul. Jesus' presence... should have made all the difference for the disciples. He was there. He was on the boat with them. And he was right there physically with them. On Sunday, I read you some verses from Psalm chapter 3. I want to read a couple of those verses again tonight. David, in the midst of a tough time, his own son is trying to kill him, betraying him. And these words from Psalm chapter 3, Lord, how many are increased that trouble me? Many are there be that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, There is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. Verse 6 says, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. You've got to understand, when you've got the Lord with you, it makes all the difference. This world going through a storm and going through trouble, it's going to be different. That's why you got to understand, we look at the past couple years, what this world's gone through with COVID. A Christian should not fear things the way this world fears it. I'm not telling you not to be cautious and careful or whatever you did during that time. But what I am saying is, the way we view what takes place should be different than the way the world views it. Because this world, at the end of the day, has no one. You have the Lord with you in the midst of everything that goes on. He led them in onto this boat, and he was with them on this boat. You and I don't navigate the storms of life by ourselves. The Lord is with us, and we have Christ with us no matter what happens. And one of the things that happens is our greatest danger in the storms of life is never the storm itself. It's the loss of perspective that God's presence is with us in the midst of the storm. Because sometimes this is what happens. We look at the storm, and whoa, that's a big storm. Whoa, what I'm going through this trial, this is bad. And it is. I'm not minimizing the trials we go through, but you've got to understand something. No trial is bigger than your God that is with you in the midst of the trial. But what happens is we get our eyes on the storm or on the trial, and we lose perspective of the bigness of God and His presence with us. We cannot lose sight of His presence. Yes, this was a big storm the disciples were in, but Jesus was on the boat with them. And this is what happens. Fear distorts our sense of reality. And it blinds us to the presence of God, which should help us get through every situation. 
God never promises to spare us from everything in life. There are those out there that say that. And there are some Christians out there that say things of that nature. You've got to understand something. God doesn't promise to spare us from all suffering. He promises to be with us through it. You know, there's a saying that a lot of Christians make. God will never give you more than you can handle. I had a Christian tell me that on Sunday. They're struggling. They're like, I just got to remember, God will never give me more than I can handle. I said, I actually need to stop you there. Can anyone show me in the Bible where it says that God won't give you more than you can handle? That's found nowhere in the Bible. That's not found anywhere. That's one of those things that we say, and we say to people, God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not Bible. You cannot find that in the Bible one time. This is a biblical statement. God will not give you more than he can handle. That's biblical. Now, we can't handle a whole lot. God can. But when you try and handle your, and this is where sometimes you look at your load and you're like, this is too much. For you it is. But with God, it's not. That's why with, remember, Paul sought the Lord three times, take this infirmity away, take it away, take it away. And what did the Lord say? My grace is sufficient for you. I will get you through. You got to understand, but we often do this. There are other times, there are lots of times in Scripture we believe different things or we have different thoughts that are not reality. Like that one. So many people hold on to that. God won't give me more than I can handle. That's not Bible. God will not give you more than he can handle. And that's why we're supposed to cast our care upon him because he cares about us. It's, um, oh, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. He can carry a lot that we cannot. But he never promises not to give us more than we can handle. He doesn't give us more than he can handle. The disciples were right here. They had the promise. What does it say there? Verse 35. Let us pass over to the other side. We're going to the other side, guys. But instead of letting God's promise stir their faith, they allowed the storm to let their fears build. And that's a natural reaction. That's why it happens to us. And that's why sometimes we get in the midst of a storm and our minds start going a little crazy on things. It's natural. That's who we are. But we have to counteract the mind, which we've talked about. We talked about that last month, didn't we? You've got to counteract the mind with what you know from God for those situations. Like what the disciples, we, it's easy for us to look at the disciples and say this is what they should have done, but that's what we're doing. We're looking at the passage. They should have remembered who was on the boat. If Jesus is on your boat, you're going to be okay. He will take care of you. He promised that he would be with us. He promised them they would get over to the other side. And then also, so he led them. He was with them and let her see he had promised them. He promised them. You know, we get, we get the promises of God backwards often. Do you know sometimes I've had, I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, you know why I give? Because God says he will bless me for giving. That's not completely all there. Do you know the church that Paul commended the most for their giving was the church that was poor? 
The church of Macedonia gave out of their abundance? No, they gave out of their poverty. But God will give, God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Yes, that was written to those Christians that were giving in their poverty. It doesn't say anywhere that you're going to be wealthy because you give to God. Now, will God take care of you when you put him first? Yes, that's the promise. But we got to be careful the way we look at things. He promised them they were going to get to the other side. He didn't say how they were going to get there. Oh, it's going to be a nice sunny trip. We're going to lay back, relax. It's going to be a beautiful trip on this boat. I don't like boats today. I couldn't imagine going on a boat 2,000 years ago. And Jesus slept the whole time. We'll talk more about that here in a minute. But we just think, we look at different, and sometimes we think about things, and we think that God's promised this, when in reality, it's not the way he promised it. But let me ask you, let me ask you ladies to help me tonight. What are some promises when you're going through a tough time, when you're going through a storm? What are some promises of God that you hold on to to get you through that are biblical? Does anybody have any? God will never leave you or never forsake you. That's a great one to hold on to. Because isn't there times where in your head or in your mind as you're going through a storm, you're like, I'm all alone. I'm going through this myself. Any other verses? Any other promises you can think of? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I just told someone about that one today. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not into thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy path. There are times you just have to trust him, and you can't let what you're thinking here lead you down the wrong way. You've got to let him lead you and guide you where you need to go. It's a great passage to restore. Mona. Yeah, where you just put the Lord first. And there are times in life that you look in circumstances, suffering, things going on. I don't want to, I can't put God first. But no, you put him first and he will take care of you. Michael. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. You can get through, yeah. Excellent passage. Mary. Hebrews 13.8. Yeah, and though you're in the midst of the storm, his love, his care, it doesn't change. He's always constant. Yes, Belinda. Matthew 6.31, is that the take no thought? Mm-hmm, but you all, then that's a great verse, and Mona mentioned that too. But you got to remember, so then some people think, all right, I just don't care about, no. There's a condition to that. A lot of God's promises, there are steps and conditions to and the condition is, you don't need to take thought of all those things, because your Heavenly Father will take care of you, but you've got to seek Him first, and His righteousness, and then He takes care of all those things. There is a, there is something behind it. And so, but that's a great promise, and a great truth. Anybody else, any other verses you go to? Jenna? Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. That's a great verse when you're going through it. Jeremiah 29.11, I, I know my, and the thoughts. It's an excellent passage. But it would be a good thing to have verses to go to in the midst of the storms. Be per, and you say, well, everything's good in life right now. Wonderful. If everything's good, this is when you prepare for the storm that's coming. Have 
verses in place so you're ready to go. It would be a good thing. But he promised them they were going to get over to the other side. And there are so many Bible promises that God's given us, and we can use them regardless of circumstances. And this is what the Bible tells us, 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. If God says it, he means it. But be careful that you know what the promise is and that you're not making up your own promise that God never said. Make sure it's a biblical promise. Number two tonight. So God's care, it includes storms, but God's care permeates storms. Now, as we look at this passage, we see verse number 37, and there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. So by, by no doubt now, the disciples are soaked. There's water everywhere on the boat. How many of you, if you got on a boat and the water starts building up in the boat, you wouldn't start to worry a little bit? I think you'd worry just a little bit. There's water, and I'm sh- honestly, I bet in boats in those days, there's always a little water in them. I'm sure they didn't have them perfectly closed off completely, or maybe they did. But when the boat is, it says, the Bible says right there that it was now full. The boat is full of water. What happens when a boat is full of water? Yeah. But this is the thing. They know that Jesus is with them. They know that he said they'll get over to the other side. But the reality is, The boat is now full of water. They are soaked. The wind's blowing. And, man, was Jesus floating in the water there, too? Because he's sleeping. Maybe, you know, it's like a waterbed for him. I don't know, and we'll talk more about that here in a minute. And just, you think about this. They are soaked. God cared about them the entire time, but they didn't realize it. They were permeated with God's care, even though they were soaked and the wind's blowing. What happens is they were ignoring all the truths that they had seen. They had Jesus with them. He led them. And he told them they would get to the other side. But what the disciples did was, they assumed that Jesus' lack of action equaled the fact that he didn't care. In reality, Jesus, you think about this, Jesus resting signified his peace, but it also signified some humanity there. He was so tired. And if you read before this what he was doing and ministering to the people, he was so tired, he couldn't even wake up. It showed his humanity. As I was preparing this, I thought back to the other night. Sometimes, and uh, I don't think my mom will watch this live stream, so I can talk about my mom here for a minute. Her medicine at times will play with her mind. It does. And she's on a lot of medicine. And I'm sure there are times, Joyce, Russ, it messes with him. It messes with my mom a lot more. And sometimes, you know, they've, she's lost a lot of weight, so they're trying to adjust some medicine too so that everything balances out because sometimes she gets too much medicine and things of that nature. So Sunday nights after church, I'll tell you, Sunday nights I am dead. So I start out, I go for a run before the day starts because I know I'm not going to feel like it during the day. So before 5.30 in the morning, I go run. I come to church, 
by the time the first morning service is over, I am tired. Because I'm singing the whole time and I'm preaching. And even the days I don't preach when I have a guest speaker in, I'm still, I'm still tired by the end of the first service. I, a lot of times between service, will just go sit in my office and try and get my mind to a spot to where I'm ready to go again for the second service. And a lot of times the music, everything will get me finally, I'm finally pumped, ready to go, get into the preaching, and there are moments where I'm dragging and I got to pull myself back up. I get through Sunday afternoon after lunch and things. There's not much time to do anything. I started the teens back up Sunday afternoon, so Sunday afternoon I'm with the teens. By the time we get to 6 o'clock Sunday night for the evening service, there is nothing left. But I don't know if you notice, I still get with it Sunday nights. We still, it's still action-packed. It get, we get through, but it takes a lot to get through. By the time I get home Sunday night, and then I have to endure watching When Calls the Heart with Caroline, that really ends my day. That really calls an end to it. You know, it, Hallmark things, it's all... It doesn't. It might be set 150 years ago, or it could have been set yesterday. Same actors doing the same thing, just 150 years apart. Same drama, same sort of thing. And yes, I watch it with her and whatever else, whatever. But by the time Sunday night, by the time I get in bed, I am done. Monday morning, I still, I feel like as Jesus had to be raised out of the grave, that's what the Lord does to me every Monday morning. So this Sunday night, okay, so it's Monday morning, it's 1230 and my phone is ringing. I had fallen asleep, and I was out. It's, it says home, so it's my parents. So I wake up, kind of. And so my mom's on the phone, and her nice, sweet voice and things, and she's like, I can't go to sleep tonight because your dad dropped me off at the movie theater. I'm like, you're at the movies right now. And I'm out, I'm out. I'm like trying to get my thoughts and because if I go and start telling her mom you're in your bed right now and you're just losing it that goes nowhere and then she'll hang up on me you say how do you know that because it's happened in the past okay and so so you have to be very selective in how you say and if I word things pretty well I can get her to relax and she'll go to bed and then the next morning everything's fine I cannot figure out. I don't even know what's. Go I don't even know what day it is. I don't know anything. I don't even. I don't even know my name at the moment. And mom and I'm trying. And you can tell I'm frustrating her because she's trying to tell me these things and I'm not. I'm not with it. I'm out of it. Finally, 15 minutes into the conversation, I wake up. And then she's like, "I'm done talking to you tonight. Goodbye." And she got off the phone. So at 12:45, I'm wide awake. And now I'm worried the next hour that she's going to be like this. And then the next day, talk to my dad. Oh, she fell asleep five minutes after you talked. But I was so far out of it. I, and Caroline, she even knows. She told me it was not funny. But I was just that out of it. And what I pictured really, and not I would never compare anything to Jesus, but the way he was on that boat, I picture that. That's how I was. You know, like Peter, remember how Peter was in jail? And the, and the angel literally had to beat him upside the head, like, get up, wake up. And then he still is, like, stumbling around. Is this real? Am I dreaming right now? That's how it was. But Jesus was that tired. He was that worn out. But you got to understand something. No matter how big the storm is or how fatigued you are in the midst of it, God still cares. He does care. The disciples like us, 
may have had this truth in their head, and we have it in our head, but when the boat's rocking, when it's full of water, when all these things take place, what is there? What do they accuse Jesus of? Master, hey, do you really care about us right now? Master, carest thou not that we perish? And there are three aspects to that question, three ways we can emphasize the tone, and each one produces another layer of God's truth. The first thing is he does care. He cares. Consider the first four words of their question. Master, carest thou not? In other words, don't you care? That cry seems to be throughout the Bible at times. That cry that seems, does God care, is not new to just this story, but it's found throughout. In Psalms over and over again. God, do you really care? Psalm 44, 23 and 20, 22 and 23. Yea, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Awake, why sleepest thou, O Lord? Arise, cast us not off forever. Hey, why are you sleeping when I'm suffering? Don't you care about what I'm going through? But you got to understand something. And these, but doesn't that sound like something we would say, as the psalmist would say? Lord, you're sleeping and I'm suffering. Where are you in my distress? But oftentimes that's what we do. We accuse God. But you got to understand the Bible tells us that he cares. The Bible reaffirms the fact that we will endure suffering and suffering is going to come. But that doesn't separate us from God's love. We think about what the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8, verse number 35 through 39. We shall, uh, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, our trials going to separate us? Is distress persecutions, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. As is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And Paul says that I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You can settle this fact. He does care. There is nothing that you could do to stop him from caring about you. There's no situation you could get yourself into that he would stop caring about you. He cares, but get this. Not only does he care, he cares about you specifically. And you might be able to say, oh, well, I know God cares. But he cares about, does he care about me? After all, I'm insignificant. I've, I've, I'm just a small part of the big picture. I'm one of several billion people in this world. Does my storm concern God? Yes, he does care. In this passage, you see the disciples were, they blurred out, Master, don't you care that we perish? Don't you see our problems? Where are you in the midst of it? Matthew Henry an 18th century commentator penned these words. He said, they, they do Christ a deal of wrong who suspect him to be careless of his people in distress. The matter is not so. He's not willing that any should perish, much less any of his little ones. Matthew eighteen fourteen tells us, even so is not the will of your Father which is in heaven 
that one of these little ones should perish. And you know the one who's on the boat asking, Master, do you really care about us? Is the same one who penned that verse that Jenna mentioned a few minutes ago, 1 Peter 5, 7. Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. That's personal. He cares about you. You and I will never fully understand the mind of Christ or the purposes of Christ. We don't understand why storms come. Like we could look, we said, okay, in Joseph's life, we understand why he went through what he did. But be Joseph, he doesn't get to see the end of the picture. Why is he going through all this? Why is he suffering? But God cares. And you got to understand, we don't have all the answers. We don't know why people suffer. I was just talking, and the other night I was talking to one of you in this room. Why, did you go, why are you going through what you're going through? I don't know. I cannot wrap my head around it. I cannot figure it out. But God does know. He does. And he cares about you where you're at. He loves you. He will not forsake you. He cares. He always cares. He cares for you. Man, you think about, think about that passage we mentioned on Sunday. We were talking about Mary, how she broke that box of ointment on the Lord. Remember when Lazarus died? Jesus showed up late. Oh, Martha let him know about it too, didn't she? Martha was one of those that just spoke her mind to the Lord. Well, this is the thing. Even if you don't speak your mind to the Lord, he knows what you're thinking in your mind without even saying it. So Martha at least said it. But Jesus knew that he was going to raise him from the dead. But we think about that one, the shortest verse in all the Bible, Jesus wept. He saw how Martha felt. He saw how Mary felt. It, he had compassion on that. He cared. He cared about them. He cares about you this evening. He cares. He cares about you individually. Now, let's think about this. I'm gonna, we're going to get to our third, third thing here and get to the end here, but I want you to think with me for a minute. When we assume that God doesn't care about our problems. What does that say about how we view God? Anybody got any thoughts on that? It has to do with our trust of Him. If God's faithful, it means that, and this is why how we view God determines so much of everything of life. Because what happens is we view our circumstances and we don't view God. We got to view God. God's the one we got to keep our eyes on. Yeah, the storm's big. Yeah, you don't want to go through the storm. But you got to keep your eyes on God. I still remember the day before we got married. I I'm not a I I'm a California boy through and through. And I remember hearing the tornado sirens going off. And maybe that was God trying to warn me the day before the wedding. You have those signs and you know you hear if the and you know being a california boy you've not been in those strong storms and all those things and you hear if the sky turns green you know your car is going to fly away i don't know all that good stuff but i remember after the rehearsal and things i was in the car with my parents we're going to the hotel you stayed at your house and things and we're driving these roads i'd been on so many times before literally the back roads to her house from the city i could close my eyes and i think i could still go on those roads and figure it out 
She says she could too, but I won't ever let her close her eyes when she's driving a car. I close my eyes and I pray, so it works out just fine there. And uh, or maybe a little bit like that, I don't know. But man, those co- the sky turned colors, the wind's blowing, and it is raining like I've never seen. And I'm thinking, I'm not getting married tomorrow. I'm dying right now. That's what's going to happen. That's what was running through my head. Why? Because the sky is green, the wind is blowing, you cannot see anything in front of you, and it literally looks like you're at death's door. And five seconds later, everything stopped, and it's clear out. You can see everything around you all of a sudden. Storms change. They can change quickly. God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why that verse that Mary mentioned, that's why it's right there where it's found. It's right after we, where we hear, he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. And it's right after that, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, you got to understand tonight, he cares, he cares about you, and let her see he cares about your needs. He cares about your needs. And what was the disciples' needs at that moment? Hey, Jesus, don't you care? But not only do you care, don't you care that we're about to die, that we're going to perish? What was their need at that moment? They didn't want to die. They literally thought, and you say, well, come on, Jesus told them they were going to get to the other side. The boat is full of water. It's not very light out. And they're in a storm. And the boat's full of water. And the wind's blowing, and Jesus is sleeping. You and I would think the same thing. We are dying. Does this boat have any life jackets in it? They didn't know what a life jacket was. They thought they were going to die. And they're like, don't you, what do they do? They question everything. Not only do you care about us, but do you care about our needs? And God does tonight. And you've got to understand that tonight. God does care. He understands the significance of things. And oftentimes, you know, we look at ourselves. Have you, ever, have you ever said these things to yourselves? This isn't a big deal. I'm just being a baby about this. It is a big deal to you, and God cares. I just need to toughen up and get through this. I must be so weak because this bothers me so much. You've got to understand something. God cares. And I'm not suggesting that every time you stub your toe, you pause to revel in God's care of your pain even in your big toe when you hit it or when you step on your kid's Legos. Those hurt. Those are one of the worst things ever is stepping on a Lego. But anyways, I won't go any deeper on that. But you got to understand, God does care. You might say, and you know, we're in a room with a bunch of ladies. God cares that one week in the month when you're having a tough time. He cares. He cares when menopause comes into play. He does care. Whatever you're going through, he does care. He cares. You might say, I just got to do, you, you, you can try and do better, but he does care. He gets it. He cares about you. And he, uh, he cares about your needs. Don't ever lose sight of that. It's important for us to realize that fact and you, whatever the case may be, he cares. Matthew ten twenty nine through 31, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father? 
but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, ye are of more value than many sparrows. If God keeps his eye on one bird that falls to the ground, how much more does he care about you? He cares about you. He loves you. You matter to him. It's not, and this is, this is where we make the mistake sometimes. And we do it with other people. They don't really care. You don't know if someone cares about you or not. You think you know what everyone else thinks. And ladies are very good thinking they know what everyone thinks. And sometimes, I'm going to be honest, you do know better. So I, would say, I would trust a woman's intuition more than I would trust a man's intuition on something. That's where if Caroline says, I just don't, I have a bad feeling about this person or something, I take heed to that. Because I don't really have any intuition. And I'm kind of oblivious. Where she does have some intuition. To th- I, do believe, I do believe that. But I also know that sometimes you think you know what everyone's, th- and you don't know what anybody's thinking. Because you don't even know what you're thinking half the time. If we're being honest, right? That's the truth. You know that's true. Oh, I don't have my pulpit to hide in anymore. I ducked down to hide and you can see me now. Oh, that's the bad thing about this pulpit. Don't be careful. If anybody ever brings tomatoes to throw at me, they could actually hit me now. And so, at least in the midst of their doubts, they did turn to Jesus. Isn't that a good thing about the disciples here? They could have turned somewhere, but Master, don't you care that we perish? But in all reality, in the midst of the storm, they had nothing else but Jesus to look to. But at least they went to him. Because some people, they get in the, the storm where they have nothing left, and they'll still try and turn away from him. And when he's all you got, you shouldn't turn away from him. Let's get to the point number three, and we'll be done here tonight. God's word overcomes storms. You know, the way the disciples frame their question and accused him of not caring, you know, what were they wanting Jesus to do? Did they want him to get a bucket and start shoveling out the water? Did they want him just to wake up and be there with them in the midst of it, which he was already there? Were they unhappy that he didn't, his, in, in his inaction? I don't know. But what happened is their fear seemed to blind them from what Jesus could do. And that's how it is for a lot of Christians. We know what God can do. We've read about it. We see the Bible. And in fact, we've experienced God do great things in our own life. But the circumstances come, and we get blinded to who God truly is. And we look at verse 39. It says, He arose, he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Can you imagine? Everything's crazy, and all of a sudden, Peace be still. And everything stops. You've ever been on water? If the wind or something, the waves don't just stop. They might slow down, but they just don't stop. It stopped. Everything stopped. How does God overcome the storm? With his words. How did, how did Jesus create the world? With his words. How is he going to finish everything off in this world? With his words. Think about that for a minute. His words. He is the living Word of God, is He not? Jesus is. And so as God's Word overcomes storms, what does God's Word do? 
it brings peace. The phrase peace be still in Greek, I'm not going to even try and say it, sapio femu, something like that. If I had Carla here or Ryan here, they'd be trying to tell me how to say this tonight. But it literally means hush, be silent, or to muzzle. I picture, I remember when we, when we used to live on the church property and we had Charlie, there was this one time, he just would not stop barking. And there's this something, you're trying to sleep and this dog's just barking like crazy. And, I, and I, I'm not an animal abuser or anything, but I took my hand and I put it over his mouth. I'm like, you be quiet. And then he barked again. To muzzle, it literally means that Jesus took the storm and muzzled it and shut it up. That's pretty powerful when you stop to think about that. Jesus basically, you know, you ever, your kids are talking too much, and you're like, shh, that's enough. And then they just keep going. Jesus looked at the storm and said, shh, that's enough, and it stopped. Or some of us are like, we need Jesus to come help put our kids to bed at night. Huh. When you think about, have you ever, you're in a storm and you hear the noise of it? And I know in California, we don't get some of those storms like you do in the Midwest and things of that nature. I remember visiting my brother in Chicago when he was in college and we were supposed to fly out the next morning. And you, the, you, the thunder you'd hear. And just the storm, it's loud. Even, even around here, sometimes the rain in the middle of the night. And, but a storm, it does not bring peace. I remember my mom, she, her first four years of living, she grew up in Biloxi, Mississippi. That's where she was born. And so even to this day, if there's lightning or thunder, she gets scared. And what her mom would do when she was a little girl at that time, they would hide in the closet together. Until the thunder and lightning stopped. Because they were so, that storm just brought bad feelings. And even you talk to my mom today and there's a thunderstorm or lightning, she gets very uneasy. She does much better once it's passed. But, you know, the Bible also compares God's strength to noise, doesn't it? To a sound like that? The Psalm 65, 7 which stillest the noise of the sea, the noise of their waves, and the tumult of thy people. Psalm 93, 3 and 4, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lifted up their waves. The Lord is on high, is mightier than the noise of many waters, yea, than the mighty waves of the sea. You ever just listen to the waves? At the, how many of you like to listen to the waves? I think a lot of you like to listen. I like to, I like to listen to the waves. I don't like going in the sand. If there was no sand at the beach, it would be much better. I think before the fall of man, there was no sand. I think that was a curse on man, and that's why it gets everywhere. But you listen to the waves, and you hear the might of them. God is stronger than the sound of many mighty waters. That's what the Bible tells us. And so often what brings fear to our hearts is the figurative storm. It's its noise the threat of what it could be. The disciples were not so much afraid of the immediate effects of the storm that they found themselves in. They were fishermen. They'd been in storms. This storm rattled their cage because the boat was full of water, and they thought they were going to die. When we're in the storm of fear, it's the noise of our hearts. It's the churning thoughts of what might be. 
that drives our fear, not the reality of what is. But God's word can bring peace in the midst of that. And uh, what did Jesus say? My peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. And then what does God's word do? It brings peace, it realigns our fears. What did Jesus say to them after he calmed everything? Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? Someone worded it like this. Why are you so fearful when I'm with you? How is it you have no faith? You have everything. They've witnessed miracles. They've seen the Lord do so many things. we think about it and as we close I don't think what brought peace to their minds was the storm being gone I think what brought peace to their minds was the reality of who Jesus was but in the midst of the entire storm he was right there and nothing changed with him because in all reality ladies it comes down to this if you have faith, your fear is going to go away. If you have no faith, you will fear. David said it like this in Psalms, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And he says, In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Jesus cares. Hey, tonight, wherever you're at, he cares about you and your situation, just like he cared about the disciples. Get some verses, get some things for when the storms come to help rein in our thoughts so that way we stay focused on the fact that God's with us. He never left the boat. Do you know that passage tells us there were other little boats? I wouldn't want to be on the other little boats because Jesus wasn't on the little boats, the other little boats. He was on their boat. So imagine what those others felt like on those other little boats. They had a right to be fearful. The disciples did not. They had Jesus on the boat. You have Jesus in your life. He cares. He's there in the midst of what you go through. Don't forget who's on your boat. Don't forget who's on your boat. Father,